podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another Leads That Interview. Paul and Andy have interviewed Man of the City, Jamie Jones Buchanan. How was it, chaps? That is brilliant. Uh, I, I know Jonesy, so personally it's great. Nice to see him. Um, Paul, how did you find it? I thought it was a fascinating insight into a man who, um, if you only see it from a distance, is a rugby player who's really dedicated himself to the team. But when we got talking, it was really clear how much of a deep thinker he is and how many other things he's got going on at the moment. Uh, And we started with a uh, random novelty pop hit from the 90s. Let's get get cracking, if you don't mind, Mr. Jones. Let's go, mate. Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones. I'm like the guy off Barbie Girl. That's Dr. Jones, isn't it? Come on, Barbie, let's go party. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. Aqua. Aqua. Yeah. You can tell by how this has started, it's going to be a fun one. Now, you've probably heard the man speak himself there just uh, quickly, but normally we start with a question about Leeds United, but we've, uh, we've come to see Jamie Jones Buchanan on a very special day today. He has been given another award to add to his collection, <laughs> the Leeds Award for Mr Leeds himself. What's that all about, Jonesy? I'm just learning myself. It's uh, I'm very honoured though and grateful to have received it. And being somebody who's a bit of a, a, flan, a fan of Plantagenet history and kings and royalty and chivalry and all that kind of thing, to get recognised by the state and the Leeds City Council and by the city mate, is a massive honour, right up there with the best I've ever had. And essentially, it, I think it's a bit of a version of when people used to get like keys to the city. Essentially, mate, it's a real honour. It's an award. My name gets put on Leeds Civic Hall. I went and received um, like a, a certificate from the Mayor of Leeds. And then the leader of the council, Judith Blake, was there. And Judith's wonderful. I've, I've known Judith a lot of years. She's very instrumental in Leeds and uh, does a lot of great work. And I basically sat there and said, I've lived the dream for the last 22 years, ever since I signed for my hometown club as a 15-year-old fanboy, and I fulfilled that dream in making my debut in 1999 and relived it 421 times with 144 different players over 20 years, three generations, and a heck of a lot of success. So I'm immensely privileged to live that dream, and I'm in a great debt of gratitude. And, you know, when I'm receiving these rewards, I'm sort of realising and trying to communicate the fact that I'm only a reflection of the great city and the people within that have given me an opportunity to fulfil my potential. So I can't ever repay that debt of gratitude, but I can pay it forward and can continue to be as as good a role model as I can be and serve this city in whatever way I can. And they can sort you out with a set of keys. Set of keys, mate. Back in the day, I remember Kev Sinfield got one in 2015 and I interviewed him on stage. Hang on, about He's not even from Leeds, is he? No, he's not. He's an only Leeds person. They love him in Leeds. And he's, the, the thing with Kev Sinfield is he's 98% perfect. The other 2% is that fact that he's from Oldham. It's technically, <laughs> he's Lancastrian, which is horrendous. Um, but there is parts of Oldham, actually, that were originally in Yorkshire. In fact, there's a pub in Delft that's got the big white Yorkshire rose on it. Fabian Delft. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so basically, um, Kev received that award and I was interviewing him on stage. It was it was this golden decade awards that we had to celebrate this decade between 2004 and 2014 when essentially we had two bookends of winning first come final in 04 and then the first Challenge Cup of my generation in 14 and then 15 obviously they went on to win treble but end of 14 I remember saying to him I think 
getting the Leeds award means that you can there's like old laws out there isn't there that's never been overturned yeah. like being able to kill a Scotsman on Wally York and stuff like that you can, as long as you're born out of them that's it isn't it yeah apparently it's legal and Brian Redpath was his new coach because he'd just gone to rugby union and he was playing for Yorkshire Carnegie so I said technically if Brian Redpath gets on his nerves you can arrow him kill him dead <laughs> and get away with it legally see this has gone off on a tangent already you've, you've, you've made me brain sick you always do this whenever I see you am I correct in thinking that you can't kill a swan and if you do the queen can have you or something what's that about I think it's illegal to kill swans is that what it is she owns them all is that what it is yeah oh dear well we've, we've gone off on a tangent already why would you want to kill a beautiful swan anyway Andrew Depends what it was doing to me. Unless it's messing up, messing up your swim at fishing. Ah, uh, no, yeah. In fact, let's talk about fishing. We I mentioned know. fishing. We need to get straight into the crux of this. Go on then. Leeds United. Oh, I wanted fishing. <laughs> oh, oh. We can get onto fishing in a All right. But the main reason we're here is to find out Mr. Jamie Jones Buchanan love for Leeds United and how that all started. So uh, why, why do you support Leeds? Because I'm from Leeds. And do you know what? The beauty of it, right... And I'm not from Cast, by the way. I know there's a lot, of, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get to my Leeds that moment, right? Which probably involves a few Cast fans, at Ellen Road. But I've grown born and bred in Leeds. Um, I live in Leeds. I love Leeds, and I know I'm from Bramley, which is West Leeds. And technically, if you go off River, I'm Norfolk River, and I know some of them are a bit precious about that. But still, Leeds United is is our football club. So. Born and bred in Leeds, and I go a little bit bigger than Leeds Rhinos, and I've played for Leeds Rhinos 22 years, and listen, nobody, is, I'm not saying I'm bigger than a club, but I'm saying that the real privilege and value of playing for Leeds Rhinos was being able to represent the city of Leeds. Yeah. And I had this reoccurring dream as a kid, a young child, right? Because football was like most British kids, my first love. I, I used to play football, actually, I loved it, I still like playing now. I've got four boys with me, I have a knockabout all the time. And I had this reoccurring dream, that I'd be the first ever Leeds Rugby League player and Leeds United player. <laughs> and whilst that was never going to happen, um, but people said a few years ago I'd have got a game, a game in, in that. I'm going to uh, say League 1, it could have happened. <laughs> yes. When it all went horribly, horribly wrong. I'd, I'd have tried anyway. I'd have been a grafter. I'd have, I'd have run around there. Um, but when I played at Ellen Road for the first time in 2005 uh, against the Canterbury Bulldogs and become a world champion, that was almost like in a symbolic way fulfilling that dream. So um, immensely proud. But yeah, to answer your question, I always think of myself as the Black Prince, the, the Edward of Woodstock, the guy on the horse outside the Queen's Hotel, yep. riding out of Edinburgh, trying to put the world to rights for Leeds, pointing into Unslet and saying, come on, let's have it. Let's get this right. And when I had my mad Monday, it ended up being on Sunday, my, my last party with lads at my house, before my retirement, I got dressed up. I went to Iowa Shorts Playhouse. I went in their theatre, their theatre dress department, and uh, I got the best medieval knight's costume, full-on real iron chainmail, weighed a ton. But I thought, I'm going to persevere this week, and this, this this 12 hours I had it on, it was beauty. That's brutal. It was brutal, but Edward Woodstock, he has to fight in France 100 years war and win a lot of battles. But symbolically, he's Leeds. I love Leeds, and that's why I support Leeds. So go on then, you, you touched on it, leads that moment, that moment where uh, it all just <laughs> falls apart. Is that a nice? Uh... I think, yeah, it goes to pot, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know if it, uh, yeah, it's been a difficult one, this, and I don't know whether it's because of my mentality, the way that I, I look at life. Um, I'm going to say it must be difficult for you to think of that because you've obviously been a professional athlete for yeah. 22 years, so you're not going to sit here and slag the club that let no, you down, are you? Absolutely not. Usually I'm the one getting slagged off <laughs> for not playing well enough. But there was a funny moment, there's, there's a couple, so to put it in a context, 
I had to uh, I had to let you know, I don't know if you already know, but I used to work as a waiter at Ellen Road. Yeah. So when I was about 14, 15, I was sort of in between that sort of later end of my school years, just about to start college. I'd signed for Leeds when I was 15, but it was only part-time. Because I was at college, I was only training there at night times. Not with YTS lads full-time. So um, my mum and my grandma's always worked in the catering, so they started off at Ellen Lake Cricket. Then they ended up at Ellen Road, worked at Ellen Road for years and... I went there for a bit of extra money, did silver service in the uh, banqueting suite there. Took George Graham, his, uh, his coffee, and he's like, kind of, what have you been? I've been waiting for this for ages, and me just checking, like you can imagine, <laughs> checking like a leaf as a kid. Out, this is this is manager here, football manager, probably famous, star took. And uh, I worked there for ages, and one, one day they put me outside on like parking duty, so they had to come in the gate. How old are you at this point then? Um... I'm probably 17, so I'm, I'm and I've got a big tash. I haven't got a beard yet, <laughs> but I've got a big tash, and I'm bigger than average human beings. So I'm all right, <laughs> but I was an attitude as well. I can see it. My, my little lads sat here listening, and I can see it in some of my boys who've got a bit of attitude. And I was done on this gate, and I'm doing my best. So they had to come in that gate there, yeah, like that comes off Ellen Road, and then they had to listen to me drop off, and I have a part of the car, and then exit at the bottom end of the ground. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. but. 99% of them did exactly that, but one bloke just drove straight past me, and that was it, I saw Red fuming. Uh, and he turned around, dropped somebody off, and he started to drive out the same way. Come on, I sort of stood in front of the car. I said, you can't go out this way, and he started carrying on. So I went out the window, I said, if you just stopped on way in, you didn't know, you? you can't go out this way. So anyway, he looked at me as if he wanted to jab me, thought, I better not. And he drove off about 100 miles an hour, like screeched out. And as he screeched, I booted his car. And I'm, I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about it. But I can only think that he must have thought he'd hit me and like run me over and knocked me on the way out because he just carried on going. If it had been me, I'd have, I'd have jumped out and carried on. And that, that always made me laugh, this, this, this anger, dissonance within my mind. And the other one was, um, I just mentioned we talked about playing in World Club Challenge at Ellen Road, uh, 05. And afterwards... We had an opportunity to parade the trophy on the pitch. Yeah. So yeah, we did it again recently, actually, and it was brilliant. It wasn't anything like this experience. But Danny Maguire has always been a mad Leeds fan. He'd be a good guy to speak to. He's a proper service crew guy. <laughs> he, he, goes, he goes to Ellen Road with his... I've seen him at yeah. away, to be fair. Yeah. He goes to Ellen Road and he's got a proper wardrobe for it as well. He, he, he puts his lead shirt on the top of his Stone Island jumper. <laughs> And in his rock pop, <laughs> he goes, he's going there to cause some trouble. And he loves it. And this particular time, he, um, he's gone with trophy. There's a couple of them. And fans just started booing him. Somebody shouted, get off of our pitch. Like, just like, get out of the way. And he was like, oh, it's typical this. But going back, I know obviously being a Leeds player that um, there's a lot of little towns around Leeds that obviously... Um, associated with rugby league like Cass, Featherstone, Wakefield. But the main football club, of course, is, is Leeds United and there's a lot of them fans that support Leeds United. So there's a mad crossover. In fact, there was this guy on Twitter hammered me, hammered Kev Sinfield, just like mindless abuse for next to note. Um, and he's like, I hate winos. I call us winos as if we're always whining, <laughs> right? But at the top of it, he had like a picture at Leeds United. He loves Leeds and I'm thinking, it's like just counterintuitive. I don't get it. So it's, I guess I'm pointing towards that, that fickle nature. But as far as the other things, mate, I've always had a positive outlook. So no matter whether it's one of those Leeds that moments or not, I always use it to a positive. Yeah. Love That's it. definitely one of those things I've never understood when I've been at Ellen Road watching the 
the rugby league with the big games and you stood there and you see the blokes who you know sing marching on together in the same stands on a Saturday and then they get in those stands and you start singing it for the rugby mm. and they start booing it like mm. hang on it's yeah. the same thing it's Leeds do you know what I think Unslit obviously there's a massive rivalry between Leeds yeah. RL and Unslit and Unslit obviously was a big rugby league place back in there and uh I've been at Unslit grounds before where Leeds Rhinos have played friendlies against Unslit and they've started singing marching all together and Unslit fans go mad that's our song that's Leeds United song why are you singing that we're all south at River and as I mentioned this north-south divide and uh, they're very much label themselves as south at River and that's where Leeds United is and that, they own that song it's a tricky one isn't it because I've, I've seen cast fans with marched on together tattooed on their arms Yep, and they'll boo and hate and spit. It, it's that whole rivalry thing which makes sport interesting, I suppose, it, isn't it? That's it. That's that's key. Rivalries are the um, pinnacle. They're the key in sport because without rivalry and hatred in a pantomime type of way, you, you just can't have sport. I mean, all SC and all KR, I think, are perfect examples. If you merge the two, you won't have the rivalry. Ray. You won't no. have the interest. So you've got to keep that rivalry in there um, and keep it like my new Man City. It's a mad, mad rivalry. Liverpool, Everton. Growing up watching Leeds United, what do you remember your first game? Who was your favourite player growing up? So my era, my, 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 most, my most memorable moment um, as a kid, the most inspiring moment, just to take a bit of a segue, was the 1990 World Cup. So taking a bit of Pavarotti there, Nessie Dorma. And it was really interesting because there's a lot about mental health now and, and men not feeling like there's a stigma about talking about your emotions, but I saw Paul Gascoigne cry his eyes out, right, on world television in a World Cup, and I thought at the time that was class, right, and it's one of them where you emulate your, your sports fans, and I'd almost want to start crying, you know, but just to emulate Gazza. <laughs> and this 1990 World Cup side just fought tooth and nail to get a win, and that's when I really ultimately understood what it was to compete for your country and for an identity. Um, but... Around that time, obviously, I started watching a lot more football on TV and your Tony Dorigos, Carl Schutt, um, McAllister, Strachan, all that sort of generation. Uh, I was thinking about even Lee Sharp come for a bit, didn't he? Back end, um, after my new. And I met a lot of those guys. In fact, I interviewed Tony Dorigo uh, about 12 months ago. Uh, I think it was up like Meanwood. Majority of the premise around the interview was about that 1990 World Cup and he never actually played in it but he was he was there wasn't he? He, was, he was there he had the box seat the best seat in the house and he could experience every every little bit of it Alan Smith obviously somebody who's about my age um, growing up in Leeds and again when he was at Leeds before I went to Darkside you know, it meant a great deal to him and you're giggling he's all giggle look at him there Mr Precious Self-Righteous here he's, have, you never, have you never drunk out of a Monday night coffee cup never oh you refused didn't you I refused I won't even sit down on the yeah. seats with a badge on it you weren't happy he took a few photographs on video of it didn't you only because you made me yeah well we've got to do things I've won grand finals at Old Trafford so I'd, listen I exit as quick as I can uh, but, but yeah, going <laughs> going back yeah just that that was my era uh, and absolutely loved Golden Strachan in particular, um, Rod Wallace, the, yeah, it was ace, mate, I loved it. What's really nice about this for people who uh, are obviously listening can't see is the big smile that Leeds United brings to your face. It, it, it's infectious, isn't it, when you talk about something you're passionate about, you, you can't help but smile and reminisce on good times. Yeah. Now you've touched on it then, you've had some of your best career moments at Old Trafford. How was that as a, as a Leeds lad? 
Well, you've got to go and win, and um, it's no better than winning at Old Trafford, whether you're playing for Leeds United or Leeds Rhinos, you not get a win there, or whether you're playing. End of the day, I've never been that idolatrous about grounds, because then, uh, ultimately it's, it's a big rectangle in it, and you play on there, and it's got posts, either rugby posts or football posts at either side. It's a bit of grass. Um, they all treat grass pretty much the same. And then you get off, get some changing rooms and, and go on. And I, and I get that there is this cauldron or coliseum of, of rivalry when it comes to playing at other places like that because it's more than just a field. But I just go get the job done, mate. And ultimately it means that Leeds Rhinos, in particular, I've got seven grand final rings under my bed. Uh, and I'm over the moon with it. I've got a lot of stories and uh, history and education through that. But actually, one of my favourite sporting moments was at Ellen Road. It was in World Club Challenge when we played Melbourne Storm. Tony Dorigo's from Melbourne, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. It's from, he's an Aussie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I could blow my mind. I didn't, I didn't realise. And uh, I absolutely. Do you think it was an accent? Did you? What that it was? It was just putting on an accent. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. But um, yeah, I just didn't know. I was born in Melbourne. He came over here when he was young. But anyway, going back, if I was rudely interrupted. <laughs> um, no, we were playing Mocha Challenge at Eleanor against Melbourne and uh, we kicked over and it was one of those where rain was coming out. It was like being in hell. There was a really swirly wind and hot cones that we'd been using to uh, warm up before, just blown everywhere. And it was it was pretty much a stalemate and we kicked down last tackle, chased it down. One of their kick returners, I caught him. It'd been, I'd have got a ban for it now because it had been deemed a shoulder charge. But I absolutely ended him and he went off, he didn't come back on. <laughs> And it was right in front of Revy stand and the whole stand went up. It, I can only imagine it's like scoring a goal. That must happen when people score goals. It's like the whole stadium went, ah, just a big roll. So again, referring back to this idea of wanting a dream of being a Leeds footballer, having that moment there, even though it was in the league, was like scoring a goal and Eleanor. So that that was probably, when, you, when people ask, what's that one individual moment in my career? That was probably it, and it was out of Illinois, mate. Smashing someone. Smashing somebody, mate. That's why we play rugby league. Yeah, yeah. Just that gladiatorial nature. I think there's something about men, that alpha alpha male that likes to dominate people. And listen, the beauty of sport is that whether it, between kickoff and final whistle, you're obviously aiming to score a goal, score the tries, kick the conversions, so that you've got more points at the end of the game than the opposition. But actually... The beauty of rugby league is just constant little battles and competitions, and even if you get beat on the scoreboard, you can absolutely annihilate an opposite number and make them go to bed that night in tears. You know, it's it's, it's great, and as an alpha male, I really sort of enjoyed that process. But you're such a passionate bloke, and it comes across like instantaneously. Do you think? All elite sports people have to have that. Do you think they do have that? Because I think one thing that a lot of Leeds fans had levy at some of the players that we've had through the books, particularly in the last 15 years, is that they've just had nothing like even an ounce of, of what you're putting across. Well, let me throw a question at you. How many, how many of the Leeds players, let's say percentage-wise, over that period of time are from Leeds? I'd probably go 20%. I doubt it's even that. If you think about all 10, the kids 15. who've come through... Yeah, but then they've, they've got on to get sold to bigger and better things because the academy system's so good. Well, I would say that obviously the, the the nucleus of players throughout our golden generation, decade, if you like, at Leeds Rhinos grew up in the stand. We're all Leeds fans, love Leeds. Even Kev, being from Oldham, supported Leeds. Ellie Ramley was his favourite player. Yeah. So when we went on that pitch, it was like a fan going and playing for your hometown club. You know, so that revolved and we took ownership of that culture. We were like the cultural architects 
and preserved it. And one of the biggest things I learned at the back end is that you can't just come in and wear the badge and think that that culture is automatically going to be installed and you've got to go through a refining process to get there quite often, adversity. And that's why I was looking at Leeds United and I think, well, all this adversity is going to make the success all that bit more sweeter and it's going to give us a hard-fought lesson to understand that and maintain that success the next time it comes round and, and create a bit of a dynasty. The other thing I would say, and I think this is right across most sports, is that if you went around the majority of schools in Leeds, West Yorkshire, wherever, right, on sports day, a lot of them would adopt this mentality that it's not the winning, it's the taking part that counts, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're all shaking our heads and looking at pulling faces, but it's true. So they don't give medals out to kids for winning in a lot of sports days. Yeah, right? it's true. That. You compete. It's crackers, though, isn't and, it? and the thing is, kids know if they if they finish last, they've finished last. Don't try and dress it up, right, and, and equalise it and say, oh, we're all winners. Because that's not how life is. Because by the time they get to 18, 19 years old and in the real world, it's going to chew them up and spit them out. And they're not going to have had that inoculation to have understand what it means to lose. For me, I winning, playing sport, right, any sport, cricket rounders, football, rugby, it's always about the win. And when you win, you make friends because people want to be around successful people. It's, it's just magnetic. And when you lose, or when I lost as a kid, it was like my identity being ripped away from me. So I do kick, fight, bite, whatever, and probably some underhand stuff. That this is me as a cantankerous young kid, but I've since become a Christian and learnt a lot of lessons and understood that life's about building treasure and ever, not necessarily about winning con finals, collecting the silverware, and earning loads of money through fame and notoriety. But you've got to learn how to win. You've got to have adversity, and all the con final rings that I've got, I've cheekily got one on now. I've just left it on since our little old Trafford uh, memories trip, uh, just to wind all England nights up and all last week in camp. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the grand final medals for me have been brought about by failure and adversity it's two sides of the same coin so are the kids who are playing for Leeds United or anywhere else conditioned to be able to compete like their life depends on it and how many of them actually have real ownership when they're out there thinking do you know what my mum, dad, friends, family, cousin, teacher are all in that stand and if I don't play well then the whole of my week, right, is going to be people looking on down and judging me. And the fear of that and the excitement of the quid pro quo going out there and everybody patting you up back, how good is that? What a win, all these that we? That will sort of change the mentality. And we find that in sport, it's only a small percentages that make the difference. A lot of people say, though, that the Ellen Road crowd are part of the part of the problem in, in some respects, that that fear, they, they, they buckle under the pressure of doing that. So... How would you address that? I think that's more reflection on the players. <clears throat> Listen, I I can't speak for what it's like to play at Ellen Road for Leeds United. I can only imagine it's ten times heavier. I imagine to some degree of Leeds Rhinos, but there's only because of by nature the fact that soccer's miles bigger than rugby league. So you know, I, people know me, but as soon as I get past Sheffield, nobody's got a clue where I'm. You know, if I'm going. West, east and west, uh, left, right, across that M62 corridor. You know, and everywhere, I could probably knock on most people's doors and get a room for that, you know. <laughs> um, but once you go half an hour north or half an hour south, you're out of that, that blend. Football, it's a different gravy. You know, and all of the country. Um, but listen, I've always said that the weight of expectation carrying that Lee Dryno shirt in the blue and amber jersey has always been a big weight to carry. It... It demands a lot of sacrifice. It demands a hell of a lot of commitment, perseverance, sacrifice, as I mentioned, uh, altruism. You've just got to 
have all these virtues for me for 22 years and it's very difficult to carry it. But I wouldn't say it's a burden either. It's it's like an honour. It's like a, a real badge of honour. And it opens a great deal of doors and opportunities. And if you want to wear that heavy badge of honour, then you're going to have to learn to carry it. So you've got to learn to perform. And if you can't, then a bit like a sieve, you'll get filtered out and fall through the bottom um, until... You, know, you get to people who can perform and listen that's all part of the conditioning when I first started playing for Leeds mentally it was horrendous you know because there was that weight of expectation but as you get older you come to learn how to deal with that and you have support networks like my family said today when I collected the award my wife and my kids I couldn't have done anything without my wife my wife is my soulmate she's my foundation you know um, for want of a better quote you know it says second chapter of the Bible it's not good for man to be alone man or women we, we we are communal beings and I think we thrive when we we're in at least twos you know what I mean if not threes or two hundreds so the more we've got the better and, and I'd ask I flipped that question on your head how good does it feel and how much is it, is it of an encouragement for the Leeds United players when them Leeds fans are behind them thumbs up and cheering for them and shouting the name it must be a massive, massive lift. Well, that leads me perfectly onto my next question I had for you. Um, we touched on it earlier that you said that the players that you came up through with were a big part of the success of the club as well as yourself. How important are those people that you've met? For example, what have they done to your life? For example, Ali Lawatiti yeah. made a huge impact on your life, took you to church. Took me to church, yeah. Changed my life completely. I became a Christian. The road to Damascus scales fell off my eyes and started to understand that life wasn't about you know, bashing through and getting the next win at any cost. It was about the journey, the relationships, glorifying God and the gifts that I'd been given through Christ Jesus and building treasure in heaven. Listen, it don't matter what football, Premiership, FA Cup, Super League, Challenge Cup, it doesn't matter what it is, right? Whatever accolade you achieve, most people, apart from the people that you went on that journey with, will forget within five, ten years. hundred years' time, nobody's going to care. So, you know, what is it all for? Everything's in tropic, tarnishes, dies, fades away, degrades. And the only place I've found anything that's eternal, eternal life, is in, is in Jesus. So that's why I invest a lot of my time and energy, and it changed my thought process. And I don't mind saying that I got that through a belief because of Al Titi. So who I am as a 38-year-old now... It's a direct consequence of what I've been given as a as a rugby league player. The game's given me almost everything. I guess there's only my wife and my mum and my family that transcend that and some friends. But to answer the first part of the question, what do my teammates mean to me? And that group of boys, so you're talking Danny Maguire, Rob Burrow, Kev Sinfield, Jamie Peacock, Kylie, uh, and a few more like you know, Richie Mathers, Ryan Bailey, Calderwood. What do, they, what do they mean to me? Well... I always use the analogy, the opposition, the polarised version of the Orcruxes in Harry Potter. So Harry Potter spends the last two films running around trying to find Orcruxes and they're evil entities within things and objects and people, right, including himself. And these represent pieces of Voldemort. But actually, if you was to flip that on head and if instead of it being evil, it was this real good benevolence and shining light, then that emanates from those people I've just mentioned and into me. And there's a part of me carrying all those people around me every day they've influenced me that much and I once made the almost fatal mistake of standing up at an ex-players association that is giggling she's heard this before but there's about 300 men in the room that we used to play for Lee Drinos it passed I'm part of that club now and some of them are from 1940s mate played for Leeds in 1940s right 
So I've stood up on this chair and I'm collecting an award for Kev Shinfield because he couldn't be there. And uh, funnily enough, I've got this award as well. This year, I can't be there either. I'm in Papua New Guinea. But I stood on this uh, table and I said, look, I know Kev can't be here. I said, but I've been his mate for many years. His best mate, been his best man at his wedding. He's playing rugby union today. He'd find it a real honour to accept this award. But I know exactly what Kev Sinfield would do and what he'd say because he's been such a big influence on me. Right? And my best moment of my career is in 2015 when I can't play in the Challenge Cup final, so I've torn my quadricep muscle off my knee. I missed the first final in 19 at Wembley and Kev Sinfield texted me up them stairs to lift the Challenge Cup off in a suit. And I said... Kevin Sinfield's been a massive influence and I'd like to think there'll always be a little piece of Kevin Sinfield inside of me. (laughs) (laughs) All room goes up, me are flying everywhere. A lot of old men, he's coming out, Jones is coming out, last him and Kev. So you're having a laugh? Are you kidding? But I think they get the point, you know, Danny Maguire, Rob Burrow, they've been that much of an influence, they'll always be friends. And if I didn't see him for 30 years and then they walked through the door, we'd carry on like we never left off. And that's why you guys are so successful, isn't it? That's, that's why teams are successful, because of these bonds, do you not think? Yeah, and I think it's a different motivator. And this, this is another part of that question you asked earlier about the players performing on the pitch. So when you're a sportsman, in fact, when you're a civilian, whenever you're just you know normal, average, joint street, I read in a book recently called To Sell is Human about the fact that human beings, right, if they take their dog to the vet and the vet says, you've got to give a pill to your dog every day for two weeks, right? Versus a human being that goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, you've got to take a pill every day for two weeks, otherwise you could die. Right? Vet says dog could die, doctor says you could die if you miss a pill. Human beings are more likely to make sure the dog gets the pills fat than themselves, right? Now, they only use a dog to sort of, um, sub- subordinate, if that's a word, the other person. Uh, if it's two human beings, if it's me and you, Andy, I would be more likely to make sure that you, because I wouldn't want the responsibility of thinking that you've died because of me. Yeah. But the responsibility of me dying because of me isn't as bad. So my point is to perform for other people is a bigger motivator than to perform for yourself. So if I'm out on the pitch and Danny McGuire says, Jonesy, I need you to carry this ball in there. Those three blokes there, twice size of you, and getting all spread across your face, <laughs> and lose a couple of teeth, and maybe break a finger. You would rather do that than let him down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y- your own psyche wouldn't allow yourself to do that for yourself. You think that's stupid? I'll run over there, that little person. <laughs> and that's what we had as a group. We were so congruent, we were so connected, and sacrificial for one another that it was always about doing the right thing for your friend. Another thing, as a sportsman, you've got to come over as adversity and at the start of your career. It nearly ended where you started, didn't you? And then famously in 2015, you've told earlier about your quad. It nearly ended prematurely. How do you get over that? Is that mental strength or will to win, desire? What is it? I, I'm a big believer that these virtues, these characteristics of an individual are installed in us probably between four and nine years old. If I looked hard enough, I could probably find that as a fact, biologically, scientifically. I won't go into it now, but have a look at this experiment called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. It's all about delayed gratification. For me, when I was a young kid, I'm a mixed race lad in a little parochial town in West Leeds called Bramley, right? The Big Apple. The Big Apple. So, (laughs) 
I go there and I've got to find my own identity in life. And I didn't realise at the time, but looking back now, it's probably a little bit more challenging, but I had my size on my side and my physical prowess, which led itself to me being good at sport. Now, bearing in mind that I'm born on 1st of August, right, which is Yorkshire Day, the best thing about it. But it also means that I'm born at the latter end of the school year, I'm the youngest kid in the year. And there's a real fact out there as well, you can look this up, that it's called the relative age effect. People born in June, July, August don't usually do well in sport. Not because they're not any good at it, but because the school system, which is September to September, doesn't care for the fact that you're a lot younger than somebody born in September, October, November. When you're 13 year old, it doesn't really matter, but when you're five or six, it's a big percentage. Yeah, yeah. Only 11% of players in Super League were born in June, July, August. So I'm an anomaly. I'm an outlier. So when I'm massive as a kid, I quickly realise I can bash my way through sport and I'm excelling at it, so I create that identity. You rob that identity from me, then I'm nothing. And it really feels like you're dying. A mad cycle of depression. Now, you don't get that as a kid, but I had to hang on to it, winning like my life depending on it. That brings about a desire, first of all. Big capital D, underlying desire. Motor through sport, and obviously you get losses, you get injuries. My biggest injury was when I was 18. So I've gone through and I am flipping, I am charged with me. I am full of nitrous oxide as a young kid, just smashing my way through, bigger, stronger than everybody else, thinking I'm going to be great. I meet Kevin Sinfield, he's the best sportsman ever. So I'm thinking most disciplined, sacrificial, mate, like insane. When he won BBC Sports Personality at year runner up, 2015, if he'd been known by the public, right, the wider public, not just this northern M62 corridor, it has smashed it. In fact, when you index the votes, and by index, I mean, when you when you quantify the amount of people who watch rugby league versus how many votes he got, right, against how many people watch tennis and how many Andy Murray got, Kev wins by a million miles. It was madness, wasn't it? It's mad, yeah. Index is massive. So on a scale of percentage, he wins by a long way. Anyway, I follow him. And then I get some adversity. I think my career's almost over because I get this groin injury. Best part of two years, I'm out, play about eight games. Now, you imagine, based on what I just talked about from my younger days, right, this opportunity to win is going to get robbed from me. So I'm kick, fight, biting, whatever I need to do, whatever sacrifice I need to make to get back, I'll do it. And I end up evolving as a sportsman. So I'm not as quick, strong and as agile, but I'm old, I evolve. I've got to just be and use whatever I can be. And then throughout that, then I've torn my bicep, done pretty much every lower limb tear you can think of. I've had about five knee operations. The second worst one was tearing my quad off my knee in 15. But by that time, I had that much adversity and, and refined that much that I was just conditioned to it. Mm. And you know, I, I was impervious to it. And I, I always really quickly use the analogy of mining gold and silver or any element out of the floor, a diamond. You know, a diamond you've got to put under mass thousands of years of high pressure coal turns into diamond you know, when we're put under high pressure for a long period of time in, in dark horrible environments you know if we persevere through it at the end of it mate we come out like diamonds yeah gold gets refined in a, in a furnace it comes out refined but it's got to be refined it's got to go through it to be purified most people just run a mile and just can't deal with the heat but if you can stick with it, you come out of the other end a lot better for it. And I'm very fortunate that that's what sports really taught me. You prepared for, obviously, your rugby career isn't going to last forever. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about overcoming adversity, um, how important is it for not just young rugby players, young, young athletes in any kind of profession to be prepared for what comes after? As far as an occupation goes, well, 
If you're a professional rugby, rugby player, it's a lot different to being a professional We did footballer. have a chat about this and we said that, yeah. to be fair. Listen, listen, you're at my house now. We're in my little man cave at Bournemouth Garden. It's a nice little spot. I've got a few weights in here. Got a couple of neons and a dartboard up and I'm really happy with it. But I've I've got seven grand final rings under my bed. You've that, got eight. I've got eight. So I've got eight. I've got given one the 2015 one. I didn't I didn't play in the 15 final. I don't like people thinking I'm exaggerating. So yeah, I have got eight. You played all season though. I've, I've run out of feet. So I didn't I did, yeah, I did. But just for You're too humble, magnanimous and a bit of humility. Um But let's say I've got eight. But if if a if a premiership footballer won the premiership eight times, right? They wouldn't still be paying a semi-detached off in Bromley, right? <laughs> now I'm not. I'm not saying for a minute that I'm 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 poor or in some sort of poverty. By the contrary, I feel really blessed, and I, I am. I'm, I'm really fortunate. And even if I had a billion pounds, I I don't think I'd move out of Bromley. Um, I might have a fishing village. I might go into yeah, a fishing yeah. village for a bit for a <laughs> bit of a temporary home. Um, Lindome Lakes, Lindome at Doncaster. I might get a little caravan or a chalet there. Uh, but I would definitely still live in Bromley. I love Bromley. My boys are growing up here. Um, but you're right, I've been trying to plant seeds all the way through my career. Did a little bit of coaching. I started working for Lee Drynos Foundation as a trustee. Um, I'm just looking at some of the posters behind you. I've done a bit of acting at Red Ladder Theatre Company. And Red Ladder's outstanding, mate, because Red Ladder, are, um, they deal with some of the real issues in sports. So when we talk about poverty, social isolation, mental health issues, you know, there's there's some tough environments for people uh, uh deal with within Leeds and Red Ladder creates theatre plays or even community plays within a working men's club that really asks some questions and start conversations about some of these issues within society and I've done two plays Leeds Lads which is a, which was about the battle of the Somme that was in 2016 when we're going through a, a relegation battle in the middle eights and then I did play, <laughs> play the Joker where I, I was the uh, doorman very stereotyped Typecasted, I don't know. Um, as this this big brutish doorman with my arms <laughs> folded, looking after Eddie wearing outside Queen's Hotel. I learned a lot about the history, but I I uh, love the acting. And then I've got the as good as it gets there, who was produced with City Talking, who was you know back in the Leeds United documentary right yeah, now. Yeah, so we, we chatted to Lee. We had a chat with Lee. Yeah, well, you know, you've had Lee on, so Lee Hickens, outstanding, lovely. I love what he does. And when I first met him, Alex Simmons known him for a lot, of, a lot of a long time. But I I met Lee at the premiere of Do You Wanna Win, which is the Leeds United film. Billy Jones is there. Um, uh, McAllister is there. Wilco was there. Wilkinson, Bill Fotherby, um, God rest his soul, was unbelievable. You know, some of the stories that he told me and the enthusiasm from his character was just sensational. And to, to see him in the film as well, as well as some of the um, fans, sponsors, stakeholders of Leeds United, it was, just, it was just great to meet them and put real people behind some of the myths and the stories and the legends. So going back to you know, planting seeds and thinking about what I'm going to do post-career, when... I actually retired six weeks ago. I thought, right, that's going to be an opportunity now for me to have a bit of a feet up moment. And uh, I have not You'd never put your feet up, you. It's been horrendous. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's been good. I've just been that busy. And I must get three or four texts a day. And I shouldn't know because it's really positive. Um, my, my issue is I'm, I'm at a real fertile moment, right, of my life. And there's, there's imagine... All these seeds that I've been planted, right, have, have grown and have bloomed, and I've got several trees from which to pick fruit from. But I've, I've only got a finite amount of time and energy, so I've got to pick it from the right trees. 
And my understanding at the minute is 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 dealing with which tree to go with. Now you've got to remember, uh, if I'd have been a footballer, I'd have had a bit more choice as to what I did from a financial point of view. I've got to make the right decisions because I've got four boys and a wife that I've got to keep winning bread for. Yeah. Um, so this next sort of six months is a real important time. I've got to commit to the stuff that I've already committed to, like going to Papua New Guinea um, and, and filming there. I do worry about being away for two and a half weeks, leaving my wife and kids. Um, do you not worry about getting eaten? I, well, <laughs> mate, going up in the Highlands, I'm, I'm more worried about the planes, mate. The light Indiana Jones planes, you know, with, <laughs> with parachute and... Uh, I once heard you should never trust a plane that's got wallpaper on. Yes, mate. Do you know what? Have you seen coming to America? No, it's not. It's Golden Child. It's Golden Child when he's going to Tibet. When he's going to look and he goes, uh, Hannes here, Hannes. And they pa- <laughs> they're trying to pass in the, the fish. Hannes here, Hannes. <laughs> and like everybody's smoking. Like, everybody all the oh, way down, oh. down the aisles like, got 20 Lambert and Butler in their hands, you know, smoking on plane. Back in the day. And I hate flying. I'm convinced. I'd be like Dennis Bergkamp, mate. I'm convinced I'm going and my doom every time I get a plane. <laughs> but you've got to do it if you're going to go to Papua New Guinea. So I'm going over there. Got loads of options. For, and the, big, I for the people who don't know, why why are you going to Papua New Guinea? You've got another role, haven't you? I've, so I, I love media as much as anybody else. I think life's a narrative. Human beings are only animals on planet that tell stories. And we've got to entertain, educate, and inspire when we do that. And the primary way I've done that is through videography and, and uh, rugby. And I like to get a camera in my hand. And uh, I got invited by the England Knights coach originally, Paul Anderson, to go document their trip last year in 2018. So I went and uh, Kesha who's the who oversees the performance side of the England Rugby League, everything from Great Britain Lions down to under 16's Academy or whatever. He said, do you want to go back to PNG? Um, Great Britain are over there and women are going there as well. Do you want to go with women? And there's a bit of cross-pollination and they meet over in New Zealand and, uh, sorry, in Port Moresby when they play uh, Papua New Guinea. So I'm going over there to document that again. And, and and again, you know, there's not that much money in Rugby League, so they need Sport England funding and to get that. Like any school or sporting organisation, you've got to document and prove what it is you're actually delivering. So I'm going there to sort of showcase what these women are going to experience and how much of a benefit it is to their career and women's sport in general. So you're sticking in the media? Sticking in media. I'm doing a lot more work for BBC, which is great. Since Neville Smith left Sky, he doesn't seem to like me anymore. I haven't done much with Sky, but I really like the BBC. It's a British institution, isn't it? Yes, yes. And it's like, I'm, I'm a big fan of Eddie Waring being this northern stereotype. Became, he, he became a parody of himself, unfortunately, in the end. You know, um, <laughs> and, and started playing himself in third person. But he's a big hero for me as a, as a Yorkshireman, Jewsby guy, who withstood the abuse that he got in the media and, and did his very best for sport, mock of mind, songs of praise. It's a knockout. Yes. Um, you know, Rubble League and coined that phrase, poor lad, he's missed it. <laughs> a dumb fox in 68 <laughs> Watts Splash final. Um, but listen, uh, you know, Lee uh, um, City Talking offered me a job to work. We're City Talking uh, full time with a second series at Leeds United. And, and I think part of that was because he wanted an element of a Leeds lad speaking to players who were representing Leeds and asking them sort of questions, asking me, you know, what, what's important? Why why did you battle your body away to a point where you can't move your wrist or you can't feel the middle three toes anymore? <laughs> um, for 22 years as a Leeds player, Josh Warrington's outstanding. I love him a bit. You know, I think he's a committed sportsman. There's none better. But I go right back to this idea that he, he rides on that, that brand of Leeds, doesn't he? Yes. That's what motivates him. That's what motivates his followers. And they come to Leeds Arena and throw... 
pints of beer in ring and uh, <laughs> you know, first match I went into somebody for a beach ball in, in round three and they had to stop it all leads that way mad for it so um, yeah it's good to be a part of that Leeds community Niall Wilson Brownlee brothers Nicola Adams got some unbelievable sportsmen and women in Leeds and it's Calvin Phillips Calvin Phillips yes the Yorkshire Pearl I've got to love him yes any more acting coming up no, I don't know what, it's not my strongest point acting, um, but I do it because it's a, it's a method of storytelling. And I think I, I, I'm, tomorrow I'm up in Cumbria doing, I've got two sportsmen's dinners to do. And when you're stood in front of a room full of people, I think acting gives you a, a, another skill of storytelling. You know, it's, a, it's a bit like training for me. I, I thought when I first did it that it'd be real easy because the, the hardest part about delivering uh, an after-dinner speech is, is the content. <laughs> When you're acting, you get given the content. You just got to learn how to act and make it believable. But um, no, not in the foreseeable future anyway. Red Ladder, something that you're passionate about. We spoke about earlier. I believe you've got something you can talk to us about Leeds United related from them, have you? Yeah, so Red Ladder, um, they've been taking the damned United around. And um, one of the first players that I saw for Red Ladder was the damned United. And it's a great player. I watched it at West Yorkshire Playoffs at the time. And I'm actually on the board of Red Ladder now. So when you talk about I'm not going to do any more acting, um, not right now, but that doesn't mean that Red Ladder are at the top of my agendas. Um, and I'm always trying to build relationships. And I think whenever you go around sports clubs, there's a, there's a big mental health agenda now. And they do a lot around mental health, a lot of great players. But they would like to do in the 100th sort of centenary year of Leeds United, they'd love to do uh, the damned United on the concourse at Ellen Road. So it's not just about, listen, we're a theatre company, so we're going to have to be in a theatre with a stage and a, and a big auditorium. They'll do the plays anyway. They'll do it on the pitch and in the banquet seat. They want to do it on the concourse where the fans would walk. That would be amazing. Yeah, my only concern with Red Ladder is you'll get people like Andy who wish it was called White Ladder. <laughs> white Ladder, yeah. Red and White Ladder. I wonder why they called it Red Ladder. It's, it's pretty... Uh, pretty old but it, it's mate I'm telling you at least 2023 and I'm jumped one there the city of culture we're going to have a big festival international festival of culture in 2023 right? I'm on the board so the story behind that was that Leeds was going to bid for, to be the European capital of culture yep and everybody in the country decided we didn't want to be in Europe anymore yep. right? <laughs> we had Brexit we're going to be out of Brexit very soon we're going to be out of um, Europe and that means we can't be the European capital of culture anymore. Leads Which is that. daft because that's leads that. You know, we're not floating off into the. Uh, that's leads that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That Maybe, is the yeah. biggest leads that ever. Maybe, I'm glad I've got it in. It's a shame on about Leeds United then, but they've basically got this board put money in a load of enthusiasm to carry it on anyway, regardless. Which is Leeds. Keep Leeds going, that, but we get up, keep going, and, and, and carry on going. So I'm I'm part of this group and um, very very keen on, on making uh, Leeds the, our own capital of culture and there's going to be a lot of money and opportunities for the arts to really excel and for people to be exalted through arts and drama and I think sport is a big part of that, it's got to be a big part, we've got to connect it Leeds United is the biggest sporting organisation in the city and they, they've got this opportunity to play this big pivotal part and I hope they'll get on board and be engaged when you talk about Ellen Road there, there's this talk if we get promoted, they're saying that we might uh, increase the stadium up to 50,000. Now, somewhere you know very well, 
has just been redeveloped and looks absolutely fantastic at Emerald Henley Stadium. Yeah. How big are the sports teams for the city? They're, they're big thriving hubs and first and foremost, again, I mentioned that Rugby League don't have the money that football does. So if you want to rebuild Edinley to the tune of 50 million quid, which in football, in a lot of it's not even a, it's a half decent player in it. So, <laughs> so, but to us, it's a heck of a lot of money. Do you know, it's like a, it's like a lifetime of, of investment. It is a lifetime of investment, but you can't do it without the support of local government, least city council, local businesses, schools, education. And to get that support, they must think that Edinley is a thriving hub for the community and that mm. it's only going to help to serve, to develop Leeds as a city. Um, so it's it's massive. But as you mentioned, Ellen Road's, it's a bigger one. You know, football, by very nature of the fact that it's football, is is a bigger hub. Um, and it's got a heck of a lot more money. So if it wants to increase its stadium and it can fill it, then outstanding, more power to them. But I will say that Gary Everton, one of his opening statements when he took over at club in 1996 was that rather than the club being open once a fortnight for games whenever they play at home he wanted Edinley to be open 365 days a year so that people within Leeds can come in and fulfil their potential and thrive and that isn't necessarily in sport that can be concerts we've just had a problems on the pitch education uh, education we've got kids in there and through Leeds Rhinos Foundation we've Leeds United uh, Foundation as well businesses come in there, weddings, whatever it is, we want people to come to Weddingly and use the facility. Does the hotel count? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's important, you know, it's it's a decent little place. It's it's a place to put your head down there at the lodge. That's part of Edinley experience, which then you're talking bridging over to cricket then. I went and watched a uh, professional wrestler give a question and answer session at Edinley. Brett Hart. What did you uh, learn from that? Did you, what did you take away, number one thing you took away? It was a waste of money, and uh, <laughs> uh, but it was a, a sports personality uh, making money after the career. Yeah, good. Yeah, nice facilities though. Did he show you any moves? Any? He uh, he threatened to put me in a sharpshooter, yeah, but fortunately, I uh, got out of that. Right, you got eight grand final rings, and you've represented your country. Got the Leeds Award, but I think the most impressive accolade that you got is uh, in fishing. So, wow. <laughs> Talk to us about your fishing because I, I love fishing. It's the only time I can ever really relax when I'm um, fishing. My granddad first took me fishing when I was a kid. He used to be a big pike fisherman down at the fence. So, we used to do a fair bit and uh, I love it. I'm self taught. I'm not the best. I've got a lot of gear and no idea. My second oldest son, Dax, he likes to fish as well. So, we all go uh, together, me and him, and have a bit of fun. But we got invited down. I say we. Team Super League got invited down to Golden Valley Lakes, I think it's in West London, near Guildford, uh, just outside the M25. And it was basically a matchroom tournament, PDC Darts. Its name changes, uh, you can imagine Barry and Eddie and <laughs> not the ringers in a lot of pies. And uh, ultimately it was, a, it was a charity fishing match that I'd like to David Seaman there. Former Leeds uh, United goalkeeper. Yeah, Adrian Lewis. What else did it have? George Groves. Jimmy Bullard. Bullard Jimmy Bullard, there. mate. Jimmy Bullard. Made a lot of noise, didn't he? Mate, Bullard's unreal. Like, I've, I've never met him personally. Obviously, I've seen him on soccer aim and stuff, but he's, he's like Russell Brand. He's, you can imagine, like, what you think Russell Brand would be like in real life. That's him. And as soon as he caught a fish, he'd be like, 
get that effing camera out of my face. I'm trying to land a fish. Somebody's going, like, oh, where's that effing camera going? Have a look at this. Put a saddle on it. I'm going to ride it home. It was me. Every fish he caught, he made a noise. And he actually won the individual sportsman. So he won it. There's only a, an international sports uh, fisherman who beat him. But he finished top. And I took down myself, Tom Briscoe, Josh Charnley, and Dom Crosby as Team Super League. I wanted um, Tommy Makinson to come as well, but he was obviously preoccupied with winning Super League. With <laughs> so I went down with then, mate, and Josh Charlton in particular was 31st out of 32 at half time. So you fish for two hours, you have an hour's dinner, fish for another two hours. And at half time, Josh Charlton is 31 out of 32. Right, He finished third overall at the end. He was pulling like little pigs, like little pigs and all <laughs> these carp, right? And we all had a right second half all fish must have come in we're pulling them out of edge just in front of us and we ended up winning the team comp yeah. and I've gone mad mate won it by two arms Barry Hearn spewing like fuming <laughs> and like disappeared you know usually they're there all night are they now but he just disappeared and it was great and bless him he's a good fella his son's a good fella really impressed by his son as a businessman and the way that he promotes and changes sport darts snooker boxing they're all the when I first met him, actually, it was at the Leeds Arena where Josh wanted, and I walked the belt out for Josh. I think he wanted Yeboah, actually. Yeboah was over for some dinners, Tony Yeboah, and he, he, he pulled out, so I thought, right, I need somebody to replace Yeboah. <laughs> and he thought, thought of me, I think he had him in my phone book, so I went and walked his belt out, which was ace. Um, but yeah, the fishing, outstanding, love it. Absolutely love it. Right, we've got a few random questions here uh, from our, our colleagues on the Leeds That podcast. One of them doesn't speak very highly of rugby league, I'm afraid to report. It's fine. Not everyone's perfect, are they? No, no, we don't all like rugby league. So, obviously, rugby league in 95 was when Super League kicked in, is that right? I think Super League kicked off in 96. Was it 96? Centenary in 95, yeah. So, yeah, needed, needed a rebrand um, and all names changed to like Leeds Rhinos and Huddersfield Giants. Yeah. Um, the question is, do you think football would ever go through that rebrand would it need to? No. And would they have names such as Leeds? Hull City Tigers. Exactly. Hull City Tigers is a great example. Yeah. No, I, I don't think they will or need to um, look at the uh, controversy that they... What's it called? VAR? What do they call it in football? VAR. The My uh, father-in-law calls it VCR. VCR. <laughs> VCR. Put it in VCR. Top loader. Man, top loader. Let's have another look at that. Um... When you look at, I mean, the video refs called different in rugby unit, rugby league to soccer, football, but um, no, nah, listen, the beauty of football, the beautiful games, a lot of people might call it, is its tradition and its consistency is brilliant. And the game itself is a spectacle. To be honest with you, like 90 minutes, if it's Leeds United, I'll watch 90 minutes. If it's England, I'll watch 90 minutes. I, I'm not one that can watch in Chelsea, Arsenal or something like that, as big a game as that might be. For 90 minutes, but I love Match at Day. Match at Day is a great show, brilliant. I like seeing highlights, and football is a great sport. I don't think it needs to change. The problem with the rugby league is it was born out of um, rebellion. If you watch as good as it gets on Amazon, if you do, I'll get 12p, so watch it, please. Um, every time it's streamed, I'll get 12p, 12 pence. Uh, every time, uh, when, when you look at rugby league, it was born out of rebellion. So, really quick story somebody picks a football up, starts running with it. Right, rugby's created. Simple as that. So he's born out of football, really. 
uh, and then we have Rugby Union. Somebody in America in about 1885 thought Rugby Union's rubbish, I'm going to create American football. It's one of the universities out there. So Gridiron, American football, was born at Rugby Union. In the north of England, the working class northerners, like our good selves, couldn't afford to play rugby on the weekend and miss work. So they had to work, right? Because they were all poor, they had to get down pit and, and graft. So the, the northerners said, right, we'll pay you to play. And the larger union said, you can't do that. It's not just war. So they broke away and called it the Northern Union. So the original rugby league would have been called the Northern Union. Still the same game. And then in time, George Hotel uh, at Uddersfield, they created rugby league and it became its own entity and they started to tinker with rules. The point I'm trying to make is that it's always been a sport that tries to diversify and change and evolve. And in 96, they did the best to try and Americanise it. And it all come about because of the Super League and NRL as well. The... Uh, the, the big Super League wars over in Australia. So Rupert Murdoch comes in, says, I love rugby league, I'm an Aussie, I've got billions and billions of pounds, let's throw loads of money at it, let's sign a load of the best English players, best NRL players, and create our own league. Did he try to do it in American football, I think, as well, with that XFL a few years ago? It yes. didn't quite take off. Uh, it didn't take off either in Aussie, but we kept Super League and rebranded from big league to Super League. Uh, and we needed it. And, you know, young kids today get behind rhinos and they can tell stories and put little images, bedtime stories uh, together. Um, but, look, what we need in, in rugby league is more cities. So we've got Toronto, just come to Super League. Yep. Next year, there's a, as you know, a ride to New York. God willing, there'll be a New York team in there. Yep. Then all of a sudden, when you get New York playing Toronto and Toronto playing London and London playing Leeds, it becomes a real interesting Local. game. So that's what we need, more cities. And and listen, in sport, you can't always cater and run at the same speed as the lowest common denominator. So as bad as it is, you know, some of the small town teams like Keefley are going to suffer up back of it, but we need to keep pushing them forward. Yeah, you see, this is kind of where the question came from, I guess, is having Toronto's and Catalan and people like that coming into the game. But then if you look in the English Football League, we've got Swansea and Cardiff. Um, they're Welsh. How's that work? Devil's, devil's advocate, though. You can have a weekend trip to Cardiff or Swansea a little bit easier than flying to Toronto or uh, south of France. I don't know. Would you stick Rangers and no. Celtic in there? No. Why not? It's, it's just monopolised, isn't it, by them two? It's boring. No, Aberdeen and Arts have been all right. Get in there. I liked it when Rangers went down for a bit. Um, that leads us on to another quick question. Um, do you think there's anything football... Can learn from rugby league and vice versa. Oh man, that's uh, that's wooden. I would say the consistency in in what works well. Ultimately, mate, and I use that word ultimately quite a lot. There's been a lot of ultimates today, <laughs> but it all boils down to the fact there ain't enough there ain't enough money in rugby league. There's loads of money in. Uh, I'm not keen. I'll tell you but what. I'm not could, keen. Could on. football learn from that though? And, and learn how to be better from not hemorrhaging well, so much listen, cash. a lot of people say that, you know, talked about salary caps in, in rugby league. When I when I went on that fishing tournament barrier and seemed to think that the fact that it had a salary cap was damaging. So um, I'm not so sure salary caps are good things. If if a billionaire or a multimillionaire wants to waste loads of money on a big Sabutio side, essentially, <laughs> then that's their prerogative, isn't it? And that's part of what creates that entertainment. And it is big money, and listen, sport inspires people. So I'll never, I'll never mourn and never be 
against Sport, but I think we just need more people to get behind rugby league, and we need more kids playing it. Not it's not suitable for everybody. Not everybody suited to be a rugby league player. I don't think we can ponder to trying to sanitise the game to make it more suitable either. But when you look at the NFL, American football, I think Super Bowl is the most watched sporting event in the world. Uh, World Cup final, football final, or Olympic 100 metre final, it, it, it eclipses that. And that's only played for the most part in America, East and West Coast. So we've got a great product that's massive in Australia. NRL's massive. Yeah. We just need to replicate that, get a few sponsors on board. I'll tell you what, I'm not a big fan of the, the, the gambling in the sport. Like, whether you're rugby league or football, the majority of the demographics are working class people and it just pries, they, you know, it just pries on working class people just gambling. So they're, they're 32 red everywhere. It's just like, it's just like hard work. And I, I've listened to some of the damage that gambling can do and I'd just like to see a little bit more legislation around how much gambling products are, are, in, are in sport. Football's a contact sport. It's a very different kind of contact sport to rugby and a lot of uh, people take a real issue with the fact that footballers go down so quickly and uh, sometimes feign kind of injury. Does that, like, as a football fan that you've said, does that bother you as a rugby player? That's a great question, Paul. I'm chuffed with that one. Does it bother me? No, it bothers me a little bit of the intention. I think it all boils down to intention. I think footballers would be quite tough. I think the reason why they go down quite often is just to win a free kick or a penalty or whatever. Yeah. They're playing par for course. And you started seeing a little bit of that in rugby league, actually. You know, when, uh, for example, if you run through the line and you make contact with the defender now, it gets brought back. So defenders are just hitting them, diving on the floor, knowing they'll get a penalty. And quite often, the opposition try, for example, will get disallowed. So how much you match it day of the day, who was playing? And basically, ball's going in net. And then somebody gets fouled, tripped up by... Accident, complete accident. The person who's banged the ball in the net keeps running and trips over block in front. And because he's it tri- was uh, Leicester that, versus Burnley, Chris Wood's goal, wasn't it? That's right. And because he's sort of made contact with him before the goal's gone in the net, then I think Lineker's saying it, it doesn't matter, it's a foul and it's not a goal. It's by virtue of the rules, they're the rules. So if you, you know, that's perfect course, but you're watching that thinking, come on, a bit of common sense says that that's a goal. That's where VAR ruins the premiership now, isn't it? Because back in the day, last year, back in the day, last year, that had been a perfectly fine goal and there's the element of doubt that is left down to the Cuban, which makes it a more real game. Yeah. Now, you can't do anything, can you? That's a good question. Rugby league is a sport where a lot of people would say that they've got the video ref right in comparison to football. See, I disagree with that. What's your views on the video ref in rugby? I don't have one. I, I don't have much. Um, I think what you've got to do is understand the rules and do your very best to play to them. That's sport. That's, that's, that is the nature of sport. And I, I read a book, I think it was called 24-Hour Workweek, and it was about a, a guy who says, do things and apologise later. Right? And he, he told a story about going over to China. I think he went to China. And he won a Kung Fu tournament. Never done Kung Fu in his life, right? But he looked at the rules and it, it said that if you get your opposition, if you knock your opposition outside the arena, you win. So he thought, right, these little fellas are going to have a go at me. I'm going to catch them and just throw them out of the ring. <laughs> so he got himself, he got himself to right weight, so that the same weight, and uh, he'd just get hold of them and throw He didn't do any Kung Fu at all. He'd just throw them out of the ring. And he won the competition. The old place is tearing teats out and throwing them at him and booing. But 
he won. And it, listen, <laughs> they're winning, winning, and that's what creates a legacy. And you've got to have a bit of ingenuity about winning. So you, you've got to understand and, and play at roles and and be smart about it. Winners are grinners, aren't they? Andy? Winners are grinners, man. Winners are grinners. You're also a fan of Kabaddi, aren't you? Mark Caldwell, do I? Yeah, whenever he <laughs> had a fight, he a bit like Kabaddi. Um, mate, like I'd play any sport. It's, it's that, that looks rough to me. Playing that on that concrete, like imagine playing that on driveway, pretty tough. Right, one of us last questions. I know the answer to this already. Would you swap your Leeds Rhinos career for a Leeds United career? Oh, mate, you can't ask me that. That's the best question I've ever. Oh, wow. Wow, 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 wow. You tempted me. You tempted me, Andy. I'll give you that because football's a great sport and I, I would be in a very different place. And this is obviously assuming that I win a... Premierships for Leeds United if I was to Well, I'll so. swap him if we won eight premierships for Leeds right. United. I mean, would I swap it under the current previous decade? Um, no, and I wouldn't do anyway. I wouldn't do anyway, and here's why. And I had this exact conversation with my wife today because all those hardships that I talked about and all the seed planting that I've mentioned and the virtues of what I believe are valuable in life and my faith and everything with it if I was to swap it I wouldn't have that and I wouldn't have this sincere belief that you still got to get out and engage and strive and I don't think if I'd have been a footballer I would have to strive as much as I had to do listen in life right I think human beings a little bit like water or electricity will check the path of least resistance we'll check the easy option and you know we, we when we vote politically we sometimes vote based on what's good for us, but what's good for us isn't necessarily good for the country. So I'll take that right back to this idea that when you're doing things for other people, you're a lot more powerful and you get a lot further with it. So sometimes it's better to take the harder option, and that's why I've done things like uh, not drink tea and coffee for a year, and then one year I got a cold shower every morning for at least two minutes, so you turn it as cold as it go, again it for two minutes, or I'd not drink alcohol, I didn't drink much alcohol anyway, I'd not drink it for you I did that two years and you've got to do things that you don't want to do because that's, that's what life's all about it's what you learn it's what makes it so fruitful so answer your question no I wouldn't because I still want to be this working class lad from Bramley who's striving to be a better version of myself and hopefully inspiring and taking the least community with me while I do it brought a tear to my eye that Jamie yes that's beautiful well these United fans kicking radio in <laughs> booting it who's this idiot get you off Jamie I've heard one last project that you think you'd have doing is building a lighthouse yeah it sounds crazy doesn't it in Leeds yeah let let me put this in a bit of context so Leeds 2023 right I don't, I don't mind banging this drum a lot of good people at minute surrounding me Sadullo in Leeds as well massive love it Paul at Sadullo looking after me and uh, giving me opportunities but there's a guy called John Smeaton you've heard of the school John Smeaton school right so John an old Leodensian yes John Smeaton would have coined the phrase civil engineering. So, um, 2024, I think it's his, I think it's two, I can't remember, I think it's his 300th birthday. Some of the biggest, best lighthouses in the world were built on the back of John Smeaton's work in engineering. Yeah, right? yeah. The Edison Lighthouse, for example, is a great example. Um, and in Leeds 2023, we want to celebrate the people of Leeds. Now, I don't want to contrast or compare ourselves to Manchester. But whenever you talk to people down south about the north, Manchester comes up. And Manchester are very good 
supporters shouting about what they're good at and Leeds for whatever reason outside of football just let's transcend football for a second has probably not had the identity and shouted about what it's good at enough times we want people from the south to come to the north a little bit like Channel 4 are doing it's only going to be good for the city it's going to be more wealth to yep. the city yep. so in 2023 we need to create something that will leave a lasting legacy and one of the ideas was to build a lighthouse, right? Now, we're a landlocked city. Why would you want to build a lighthouse? Well, one, John Smeaton was the guy whose work created lighthouses. So, one, we're symbolising John Smeaton. Number two, the purpose of a lighthouse is to shine the light, to be a beacon. And we want to be not just a beacon of hope, but a beacon of inspiration. So, we want everybody to be able to see the leads from this lighthouse. It's It's symbolic. And not only that, we want to exalt the people of Leeds. And I'm not just talking about the superstars, Josh Warrington and the Brownleys. You know, the young kids who are doing great work at school, we want to put them on top of the lighthouse so that they can shine as a light of inspiration to their friends, colleagues and other peers within Leeds. And that can be anybody from one year old to a hundred year old, right? And not only that, that light that emanates from the lighthouse is also symbolic of sound. So I want to shout about it as well and exalt people. And like the Angel of the North up in the northeast, there, we've, we've never had, apart from that Black Prince outside Queen's Hotel, we've never really had a symbolic structure that represents Leeds. So the lighthouse is a great symbolic gesture for the people of Leeds, by the people of Leeds, to inspire, educate and entertain into the future. Just like the Duomo in Florence was the central building, the central structure around which Renaissance medieval history emanated. So Thomas Cromwell, Galileo, uh, Nikolai Machiavelli, all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci, Raphael, Donatello, um, and so many more, Virgil, a few hundred years before, influential people who are still leaving ripples in society today, right, from Florence. We want these to be exactly the same. And the football's a big part of that. But we want this lighthouse up in and around, maybe around Cornet Exchange, maybe around down Nick Calls Nick Canal. So there is a bit of water. But <laughs> a lot of people, as always in Leeds, and this might be a, a, a Leeds that moment, a lot of people, if you built a le an lighthouse in Leeds, they go, what on earth are they doing? What a waste of money. What utility does that provide? What use is it? Because John Smeaton built bridges as well. You know, he could build a bridge which has use, but it wouldn't have the symbolic meaning that a lighthouse would have. So if you hear about it, please don't criticise it. It will be good for Leeds, I promise you. So get behind it. What colour is it going to be? Well, that's up to the people of Leeds. We can do what we can. We can put that out to tender, whatever you want it to Are be. We're going to go be, blue, yellow and white. Could be blue, yellow and white, yeah. Be nice little stripes, whatever. Oh, mate, yeah, that would be beautiful. Be nice, wouldn't it? Yes. Last one always lands on me. Because um, he's the cheekiest. Standard. We've got a prize giveaway where all our interviewees, no pressure, all literally, of them. Literally all. Every single one thus far has given just a little token, just something random, Leeds United related, or something to them related uh, as a prize giveaway. So we've got a signed copy of Do You Want to Win by Lee Hicken in the pot. Is there anything you can put on our toes? Yeah, I'll throw one in. I'll throw one in. So if Lee Kins put that in, do you want to win? And Lee Kin, as everybody knows, is doing a great job with the current Amazon series, Leeds United. And this year will be as good as, if not better. If they go up, it'll be. 
<laughs> Absolutely, that'd be the dream. Is the last one, and I know from a narrative point of view that'd be like epic for him because to have that first sort of simmering season and then to go up the second time round would be awesome. So, if you enjoy leaking productions, and I think everybody needs to watch, especially if you like Leeds, as good as it gets now. I know this what appeal to cast fans. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Leeds United cast fan or Fed fan or Wakey fan. But um, I'll get one of them, I'll throw that in. So then you might have the full Leakin City Talking Hebrew Works collection. Can you sign it for us? I can sign it, my good friend, yeah, no problem. Beautiful, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Keep supporting, Liz, keep striving, no matter how hard life gets, keep persevering. This year was one of the hardest years of my life because I got to a point where a bulging disc in my back meant that I really struggled to perform. Whenever I've been on back for, I've always used just brute tenacity to get through it, but I couldn't do it this year. And I got to a point where I couldn't even get inside. Um, got new coaches in. He was brilliant. Richard Day guy he helped me um, give back to the team through the spirit of the Rhino, which was being a cultural architect, an old, an old head, talking about what's important about culture. But it was a difficult time. And there was times when I wanted to throw a towel in, mate. If I'd have had a white flag, I'd have had a towel to throw it in. But from all the adversity I'd had in my career, I thought, let's keep going here, let's keep going, let's keep going, let's see what happens. And as a result, I reckon the last six weeks have been the best six weeks, some of the best six weeks. You know, apart from my kids being born and getting married and my birth, which is quite important. And meeting me. And meeting you guys. I think the last six weeks have been some best ever and it was absolutely worth the pain, so... Everybody in Leeds, all is that way. So Leeds is going to get a lighthouse. Yeah, they announced this as part of, as uh, as Jonesy said, they they announced this as part of that um, capital of culture thing, which Brexit has ruined. And um, the people of Leeds haven't really got behind it. Mm. <laughs> I've seen on a lot of internet forums, Facebook pages, that a lighthouse is not necessary in a city that is uh, so far away from the coast. But you hear Jonesy explain it there, um, and it's, you know, it'd be a great tourist attraction. It's one of those things that everybody's against until it pops up, and everybody then would be, uh, you know, would love it, and it would bring people into the city. Now, Matt, you you hate rugby, don't you, have a passion? Hate is a a strong word. Don't understand. Have absolutely no interest in is a a better description. However, I really, really enjoyed that interview. That's what I was just going to touch on. Uh, What was it that inspired you about that? Well, he loves the city and I love the city. We all love the city. It's, you know, and you don't hear enough people bigging up the city. He kind of makes that point as well. There's a plenty of cities in the country that people are very, very proud to come from, but we hide our light under a bushel a little bit in Leeds. So if there's a guy like him, so well thought of, who's, you know, making the case for us, then I'm right behind him. That's why we need the lighthouse. Exactly. The, thi- what, the thing that, that I really found quite interesting about that, and one of the reasons why I don't get into rugby as much as football is the stuff he was talking about around how when we're Leeds, we are Leeds United, everybody is behind the football club, unless you're a total moron and you live in Leeds and don't support Leeds. But there's people who will um, support Hunslet, there's people who support Featherstone, there's people who support Keithley, there's people who support Castleford. So you get you don't get that kind of unity um, behind one particular cause in rugby that you do in, that you do in football. Uh, the, the thing that I always take out from listening to Jonesy speak is when he talks about his teammates and the values and the principles that they learn and the dedication they show to be so successful. And I think there's a lot that our team can learn from that. He lays out a really clear blueprint 
of how that success was built and and it's so much easier said than done but if you have that as a as a set of foundations you can transpose that and build that success elsewhere in in anything and i think that's what jones is trying to do in his post rugby career and he will be successful like it's so obvious he'll be successful because of his passion and his determination and i love the fact that Jones, is, like he's done so much in his rugby career. I mean, I've followed it. You see the big games, the rings, the the grand finals, and then the, his actual favourite moment of his entire career is smashing someone in front of the cop, and and is the tackle, and and getting that roar from the cop, and feeling like you scored a goal at the cop end. Wow. Yeah, that was a that was a really really interesting interview, really insightful, and the differences between as much as I'm not a rugby league fan. It's so much more authentic the way that um, the way that the players and the fans interact, and the way that the players experience the game, just because it doesn't have the money and the the, the razzmatazz that football has, has grown into. Anyway, that was brilliant. Thanks very much for doing it, Andy and Paul. And that's the end of another interview podcast from Leeds. That go to our website leadsthat.com and social media at Leeds That to find out more about our prize draw. Thanks very much again to Jamie Jones Buchanan for his. Uh, contribution to the pot a signed edition of the as good as it gets dvd uh, and we'll be back soon with another podcast sports social podcast network